We have a good number here this morning. I'm very blessed to be with you. Thank Blake for that song. Thank Gaines for the prayer on my behalf. You know, I believe there is one purpose that God had and created, can create in the heavens and the earth. And we just sung about it. I believe that is to glorify His name. You being here, coming, and desiring to worship Him in spirit and in truth, I believe that brings glory and honor to His name. You know, in the very beginning, everything did exactly as God intended it to. And His name was glorified perfectly. We find this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Then God saw everything that He made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. You know, the natural world never ceases to amaze me. The way in which everything that God created works together just as He intended it to in creation to bring forth and sustain life here on earth. You know, sometimes Marka or the kids will get my phone and you can ask them what's on my phone. It's a bunch of pictures of dirt, of crops, of animals, and there's a few of them interspersed within there. You know, from planting time, you can't hardly see it, but there's a little bit of corn growing in that picture. And then there's a harvestable crop there on the other side. It never ceases to amaze me how God, at the very beginning of time, set things in order and they continue just as He designed it. You know, this shows His power and might. The glory that He deserves to be worshipped as we come here today and we see throughout the earth. His glory is undeniable. You know, in Psalm chapter 97, verse 6, it says, The heavens declare the, His righteousness, and all the peoples see His glory. You know, whether it's the Grand Canyon or the Great Smoky Mountains, the majesty of His creation is breathtaking. It's awe-inspiring. But you know, this is not something that's peculiar to one place or one country. You know, oftentimes we joke, well, this is God's country. In many ways it may be, but... God manifests His glory throughout the world. All peoples see His glory. You know, we went to India last month, and we were blessed to be able to go to the eastern coast of India. And as we stood on the Bay of Bengal and saw the Indian Ocean, the waves from the Indian Ocean come crashing on that sand over and over, relentless. And a boy from West Texas seeing that and seeing the vastness of the ocean, it makes you feel very small in comparison to the majesty that God shows in His handiwork. You know, you can't help but praise God when you see the sun rising over the remote hills in Vishakaputnam and you see the clouds enveloping the mountains. God is truly wonderful. And His glory is shown in the remotest parts of the world. You know, I could go on, you'd probably get bored, but I could go on and talk to you about the beauty and the glory of God's creation. And there would be value in that. And I believe it gives us faith and hope. But there's somebody that God tells us is a man after His own heart that did that repeatedly in the Psalms. And I'd like to look with you at one of those Psalms where David talks about the glory of God. And I believe it's for us a specific purpose. And it's to magnify 
His Word. And it's to magnify God and the ability that His Word has in us to promote Him and to glorify Him through our actions and our deeds. If you would turn to Psalm chapter 19, I'd like to begin reading in verse 1. Psalm chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. This morning, we're just going to scratch the surface of this psalm. I hope that it will inspire you to dive deeper into it and see how God's Word and His glory is manifested in His Word and how that it can be a great asset to you and your family going forward. Psalm chapter one, verse, or 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run his race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit is to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. I believe this psalm can be broken up into three distinct sections. The first section being the one we just read, verses 1 through 6. The next one will be 7 through 11, and then finally, verses 12 through 14. Now, David says that God's glory and power is undeniable when you look at His creation. Every day speaks to the glory of God. The sun rising, the sun setting, the, the, the beauty in His creation. Every night is undeniable to show His glory. The consistency and accuracy of the movement of the earth, the moon, and the stars, and the sun, and all the planets is truly amazing. It is awe-inspiring to think about how precise it had to be, God's creation had to be, for all that to work in tandem and to give us a place that we could inhabit, that we call earth. You know, we can predict eclipses thousands of years into the future. And we can look back at history and we know what happened on a certain date thousands of years ago because of the consistency of God's creation. No matter how hard sinful man tries to explain away the awesome power of God by adding a few billions here or trillions there, you cannot deny God and His glory. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse to deny the power of God we see in creation. I believe he makes that evident through these first six verses. But here David makes a pivot. And he now seemingly just shifts his thought completely to the Word of God and the power of it. Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statute of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, 
yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. You know, it seems like he just shifted gears and there was no transition. But I believe David makes the assumption that the reader of this psalm understands the role of God's Word in creation. The Jews would have been told, and that lineage, that heritage would have been passed on verbally year after year, generation after generation to the children. They would have known the story of creation by heart, how that it was nothing other than God's spoken Word that created all that is. The Apostle John makes the connection for us today in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was nothing made that was made. He's very clear. He makes the point several times. Everything was made by God's Word. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us the obvious significance of this fact. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, speaking of Christ, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. You know, no matter how amazing God's creation is, it only enhances the significance of the Word and the power of the Word that created that beauty. That is why sinful man tries so hard to explain away the biblical creation of God and take God out of the picture. Because if God's Word created everything that we see, His Word is more powerful and more awesome than anything in this world. Let's look back at Psalms chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. Let's see what David reveals to us through the Holy Spirit about God's Word. Now, as I said before, time will not permit us to go in depth to each one of these things. We're just going to scratch the surface. But I implore you to take time on your own to look deeper into this. You know, David calls God's Word six different things. He calls it the law of the Lord. He says it's the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the judgments of the Lord. These all make sense. There's one that may seem out of place. He says the fear of the Lord. I believe this is a personification of what the power and might of God's Word should instill in us. It should induce us to elevate it and have a reverent fear knowing that God's Word is powerful. After telling us these different things about the Word of God, he then declares it to be perfect, to be sure, to be right, to be pure, to be clean, to be true and righteous, and to be priceless. He makes these statements... And then he tells us why it is this, why it is this important, important. He says, because it accomplishes these things. It converts the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. 
and a servant is warned and he is able to keep and he that keeps it will have a great reward you know we don't know the time of life that David wrote this psalm we don't know where he was in his journey through this life to eternity but we do know much about his life and we see that these truths of God's word play out time and time again in his life now as I look at these statements about God's word I think about converting the soul. You know, there was a time when David was diametrically opposed to God. When he had his closest, one of his closest friends and allies and those that were faithful to him killed because of a sin he committed with, a, with his wife. He was against God at that time. But what was able to convict him of his trespass, his sin, the word of God. Nathan came to him and told him about, uh, told him a story. And presumably from David's view, being the king, this was about someone that he had reign over. And Nathan said, there's a man that had an innumerable fortune, lots of sheep, and this other man had one. And this man that had one took care of the sheep as he did his own child. But this rich man went and took that one sheep and killed it so that he could have a dinner for his friend that was coming. Put yourself in David's place. It made him mad. You know, David had a place of authority. And it was David's job to make judgments for the children of Israel and mete out punishment for those judgments that were made. And he had righteous indignation. He was mad. He said, who is this man? He's going to repay many times over what he took, and then he is going to be killed. He knew what the truth was. But Nathan looks at him and says, thou art the man. What was David's response? You know, he could have had Nathan killed. He could have said, strike the books from all the records. It probably was never written anywhere. That what had been done. But God knew. David knew. God's word through the prophet Nathan was able to convict David. And to convince him that he needed to change his life. And it converted his soul that day. You know, I think about the testimony of the Lord being sure and making wise the simple. I think about young David as a shepherd boy out in the field. And having experiences and knowing that he was able to do things that he couldn't do on his own. He knew that there was a lion and a bear that came to take sheep from his flock. But he was able and he knew it was through the power of God to save his flock from those wild beasts. Then he comes to the armies of the Philistines and the Israelites. And he sees this man, be it a mountain of a man... For 40 days had been defying the armies of the living God, saying, who's going to come? There is no God in Israel. Send somebody out here and I'll whip him. David comes and sees that and says, is there not a cause? What is this travesty that you are allowing for 40 days? He was a small boy, but he had faith in the power of God that he was able to move mountains 
much less this giant that stood before him. You know, his zeal and dedication and faith in God, it moved a king. The king, who else, why else would a king say, you can have my armor? And, he, and Saul gave David his armor. David put it on and said, it's too big. I'm just a small boy. I can't t- I've got to do what I know. So he took a sling and a few smooth stones. And he went and defeated Goliath. He was able to do that because he was made wise by the simplicity of God's Word. He had faith in the power of God's Word. You know, when we get older, many times we convolute God's Word and we think it's not that easy. It can't be that easy. It is that easy. God teaches us through grace and we obey in faith and God is glorified. I think about the rejoicing of the heart when one obeys the statutes of God. You know, even before he was crowned king, the people had a song and they said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. David followed God fully. From the time he was a young boy defeating Goliath to the time when he was enlisted into the army of Saul, he diligently served God and Saul, his king. I think about how the commandments of God are pure and it enlightens our eyes. You know, there was a commandment that was given to David and the children of Israel way before David that they were not to number the armies of their people. But David, in his lack of trust or lack of faith in God later on in his life, he chose to number the armies. Joab, his cousin, said, don't do it. There's more people than you think. And even if there's not enough, God will make it a hundred times more. Don't do it. But David was persistent. At this point in time, he either forgot the law or was a lack of faith caused, compelled him to number the people. You know, this wasn't something where he could just go to the Census Bureau and say, hey, how many people we got? It took nine months and 20 days for the armies to be numbered. But the Bible says after he did that, he said, the Bible says his heart condemned David. He knew what he had done. Because he has a man that had written God's Word on his heart. And even though he was stubborn for a time, when, that ha- when he finally got that accomplished, he realized, I have done a grave disservice. I have done wickedness in the sight of God. And I believe this is where the fear of God came in again. He understood that he was opposed to God at this time. Because God said, have faith. Don't worry about the numbers of, the, of your armies. I'm there for you. But he lacked that faith, and when he did, he knew, I have done something that God is not pleased with. But what did he do? God gave him a choice. What do you want to happen to you? And he gave him three different options, and one of them was to put himself in the hands of God and for God to have pestilence on his people for three days. And he said, that's my choice. I'm not going to be put in the hands of anybody else but I'm going to be put in the hands of God. And the Bible says that God relented after a time because of His mercy. David knew that it was going to be hard. He knew that he was going to have to be, there was going to be discipline for his wickedness. But he knew his God. And he knew that he was a 
Although a righteous God, he was a merciful God. The fear of the Lord being clean, enduring forever, makes me think about David's fear of harming Saul. No, God anointed Saul way earlier. Samuel came and anointed Saul. And this was God's chosen man to lead his children. Saul transgressed God's law, and Saul did not have the heart to turn back to God as David did. And God told Saul, I'm taking it from you. Your kingdom is no more yours. It's going to be given to someone else. And David was anointed to be his heir rather than Jonathan, his son. But did David take it upon himself to go after Saul? No, because he feared the Lord. And he knew that God had anointed him, so it was not his place to take away that man's life. Think about his judgments being true and righteous and priceless. And that the fact when he warns his servants, there's a great rewarder of them that keep them. That makes me think of Noah. And we're told in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Finding that grace, what did Noah do? He moved with a godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Because he understood the warning, he took heed... And he obeyed. And because of that, he and his whole house were saved from the flood. I think about Naaman, who wanted to be cleansed from his leprosy. He was given a task. Elisha didn't even come out to meet him. He sent Gehazi out and said, Go tell him to dip in the muddy water of Jordan seven times. That made him mad. He wasn't going to do it. But then his servant talked sense into him and he said, if, you'd have, if he'd have told you to stand on one, do all these great things, you'd have done it happily. But because he said to do this simple thing, you, you're mad. It's beneath you. He said, go and do it. Naaman did it. And he was rewarded because of his obedience. No, I believe the reason, or I believe there's several reasons that David is told to us to be a man after God's own heart. But I believe a few of those are that he properly esteemed God's Word. Being human, he failed. He sinned. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he understood the place of God's Word. And when confronted and convicted by it, he took the heed that it said. And he didn't try to change it to fit his lifestyle. But he changed his lifestyle to fit it. I believe he was also a man of humility. He was willing to take correction when he saw it was truth and it was from God. And when he found that correction, he was faithful and obedient to it. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eye of him to whom we must give account. David knew that right well. There was nothing hidden from God in his word. And his word, if allowed to penetrate the heart, would convict him of everything that was wrong. 
I believe the next section in this psalm is verses 12 through 14. And I believe after recognizing the glory of God in creation and speaking of the power of God's Word that formed that creation, David looks inward at himself and recognizes that he does not measure up. I believe he is as Isaiah was in Isaiah chapter 6. And when he saw the glory of God, he said, Woe is me, I am undone. I have unclean lips. I cannot do what you want because I am not worthy. David saw his failures. He saw that he did not measure up to the glory and the awesome power of God that's first evident in his creation and then also evident in his word. Psalm 19 verse 12 says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I believe here David understands that his sin, whether he realized it or not at the time, was an attempt to rob God of his glory. And when you rob God of something that is rightly His, you stand in a bad place. And you have the, the fury of God against you. You know, man was special in creation. We talked about in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, that everything was good on the sixth day. But there came a time when man sinned. And that sin went against glorifying God. And when man did that, he tried to rob God of what was rightly his. So man is different than the rest of creation. We have a choice. We have a choice to acknowledge and glorify God now through our actions and obedience to Him. Or we can deny Him now, reap the reward for that denial, but still on the day of judgment, acknowledge Him and kneel before Him. You know, something that's always um, astounded me and just been very, I don't know if it's poetic, but just beautiful in Scripture is Luke chapter 19 and verse 40. You know, Christ is coming in to Jerusalem for the last time, and the people are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who, are saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law say, hey, make them be quiet. Don't, well, this was a prophecy that the Son of Man was fulfilling as He came into Jerusalem. And what did Christ say? Even if I tell them to be quiet, these people that have free will and that are doing this based on their own free will, the rocks will cry out because God's Word will not go unfulfilled. God's Word is powerful. And that, that verse shows to me the power of God's Word and how it will do what He intends it to do. No, David talks about cleanse me from secret faults. And he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. I believe these are two different types of sins he's talking about. Verse 12, he says, who can understand his errors? He's, he's making a plea. I don't know everything that I need to know. How do I know what, I am, what is wrong in my life? He says, cleanse me from secret faults. The things that I do not know I'm doing Cleanse me from them. How do we know what is true and right? By study of God's Word. 
by looking at his precepts, by looking at his statutes, by looking at his law. That's how we understand and know what faults we have so that we can correct them. He says, keep me back or keep your servant back from presumptuous sins or willful sins. As we've already looked at, there were times that David willfully sinned. When he saw Bathsheba, he inquired who she was. They said, is she not Uriah's wife? He knew who she was. He knew that it was wrong for him to take her, but still he did that. What does he say in these few verses? He says, I am not able to keep myself from this. I need God's help. Keep me away from those situations. We have to lean on God to help us get through the times when our sinful flesh wants to do what is wrong. And we have to acknowledge that it's not within man to direct his own stance. It's not within us to keep ourselves pure. But only with the help of God can we remain steadfast. He said, let, your word, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That word strength is literally rock. Lord, you are my rock. Redeemer is one that buys someone back. He says, I know I'm going to sin, but I need you to buy me back. The Bible tells us that it is with a contrite heart that God is pleased and that God is willing to buy us back or redeem us when we in humility and sincerity and with a contrite heart return to Him. So I ask you this morning, what about you? Just like we don't know where David was when he penned this 19th Psalm, I don't know where you are in your walk with God. You may have never named the name of Christ. You may have never become a child of God through obedience to the gospel. You may have become a child of God, but you may have wandered away. You may have numbered your armies. And with a lack of faith in God, you tried to put your trust in something other than God and His Word and His power. You know, we have even less excuse than David did. You know, David fought Goliath. He saw the power of God firsthand in his life. But you know what? We have beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We have the glory of God wrapped up in the image of Jesus Christ, His Son. We have the express image of, image of His Godhead bodily in Jesus Christ to show us what God would have us to do, to, how, to see how we are to act, how we are to interact with others. This grace and truth that was begotten by Christ in the flesh teaches us that we need to have faithful obedience to God's Word. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. What God's grace teaches us, faith must obey. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Each one of us has to make the decision on our own. 
are we going to submit to God? Are we going to adhere to the faithful teachings of grace and submit to God's plan? Or are we going to try to do it our own way? Nobody can make that decision for you. Your parents can't. Your children can't. Nobody but you. Grace teaches us that we're in sin. And the payment for sin is death. But God's gift is Jesus Christ our Lord. And that gift has been extended to anyone that will obey the gospel. James chapter 1, verses 19-25 through 25 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, and this one will be blessed in what he does. Only those that listen, take it in, and do what God says will be blessed. You know, we talked about the glory of God shown in creation and how magnificent that is, and it truly is, and it will never cease to amaze me. And I'll continue to take pictures of dirt and of crops and of animals and my kids. But one day, this physical creation will be burned up. It will be gone. It will have served its purpose. And that purpose was to glorify God. But even more than that, that purpose was to lead souls with free will to God. To glorify them by their own choosing. As I said, each one of us stand before God individually. And we have that responsibility, that choice. Are we going to glorify Him or are we going to deny Him? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower thereof falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. This morning, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, now's the perfect time. Submit to God while you have opportunity. Be buried with Him in baptism. Arise to walk a new life. And look forward to all those promises we find in, in Scripture. That He will never leave us nor forsake us. That He will be with us to the end. And that in the final resurrection we will have a home with Him in eternity. The lesson is yours this morning. If there's one here that desires the prayers of the church or desires to put on Christ in baptism, 